Chapter Eighteen of the Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen, A Dinner Party. Mrs. Langton did not forget Mark, and before many days had gone by since his call, he received an invitation to dine at Kensington Park Gardens on a certain Saturday, to which he counted the days like a schoolboy. The hour came at last, and he found himself in the pretty drawing-room once more. There were people there already, a stout judge and his pretty daughter, a meek but eminent conveyancer with a gorgeous wife, and a distinguished professor with a bland, subtle smile, a gentle voice, and a dangerous eye. Other guests came in afterwards, but Mark hardly saw them. He talked a little to Mrs. Langton, and Mrs. Langton talked considerably to him during the first few minutes after his entrance, but his thoughts kept wandering, like his eyes, to Mabel, as she moved from group to group in her character of supplementary hostess, for Mrs. Langton's health did not allow her to exert herself on these occasions. Mabel was looking very lovely that evening, in some soft light dress of pale rose, with a trail of pure white buds and flowers at her shoulder. Mark watched her as she went about, now listening with pretty submission to the gorgeous woman in the ruby velvet and the diamond star who was laying down some little new law of her own, now demurely acknowledging the old judge's semi-paternal compliments, audaciously rallying the learned professor, or laughing brightly at something a spoony-looking fair-haired youth was saying to her. Somehow she seemed to Mark to be further removed than ever from him. He was nothing to her amongst all these people. She had not even noticed him yet. He began to be jealous of the judge, and the professor too, and absolutely to hate the spoony youth. But she came to him at last. Perhaps she had seen him from the first, and felt his dark eyes following her, with that pathetic look they had whenever things were not going perfectly well with him. She came now, and was pleased to be gracious to him for a few minutes, till dinner was announced. Mark heard it with a pang now they would be separated of course he would be given to the ruby woman or that tall keen-faced girl with the pince-nez he would be lucky if he got two minutes conversation with mabel in the drawing-room later on but he waited for instructions resignedly didn't papa tell you she said you are to take me in if you will if he would he felt a thrill as her light fingers rested on his arm he could scarcely believe his own good fortune, even when he found himself seated next to her, as the general rustle subsided, and might accept the delightful certainty that she would be there, by his side, for the next two hours at least. He forgot to consult his menu. He had no very distinct idea of what he ate or drank, or what was going on around him, at least as long as Mabel talked to him. They were just outside the radius of the big centre lamp, and that and the talk around them produced a sort of semi-privacy. The spoony young man was at Mabel's right hand, to be sure, but he had been sent in with the keen-faced young lady who came from Girton, where it was well known that the marks she had gained in one of the great triposes under the old order would, but for her sex, have placed her very high indeed in the class list. Somebody had told the young man of this, and, as he was from Cambridge too, but had never been placed anywhere except in one or two walking races at Fenner's, 
it had dampened him too much for conversation just yet have you been down to chigbourne lately mabel asked mark suddenly and her smile and manner showed him that she remembered their first meeting he took this opportunity of disclaiming all share in the treatment of the unfortunate gander and was assured that it was quite unnecessary to do so i wish your uncle mr humpage thought with you he said ruefully but he has quite made up his mind that i am a villain of the deepest dye and then encouraged to confide in her he told the story of the old gentleman's furious entry and accusation mabel looked rather grave how could he get such an idea into his head she said i'm afraid my uncle had something to do with that said mark and explained mr lightowler's conduct it's very silly of both of them she said and then to drag you into the quarrel too you know old mr humpage is not really my uncle only one of those relations that sound like a prize puzzle when you try to make them out dolly always calls him uncle antony he's her godfather but i wish you hadn't offended him mr ashburn i do really i've heard he can be a very bitter enemy he has been a very good friend to papa i believe he gave him almost the very first brief he ever had and he's kind to all of us but it's dangerous to offend him perhaps you will meet him here some day she added and then we may be able to make him see how mistaken he has been how kind of you to care about it said he and his eyes spoke his gratitude for the frank interest she had taken in his fortunes of course i care said mabel looking down as she spoke i can't bear to see anyone i like and respect as i do poor uncle antony persist in misjudging anybody like that mark had hoped more from the beginning of this speech than the conclusion quite bore out but it was delightful to hear her talking something more than society nothings to him however that was ended for the present by the sudden eruption of the spoony young man into the conversation he had come out very shattered from a desperate intellectual conflict with the young lady from girton to whom he had ventured on a remark which as he made it had seemed to him likely to turn out brilliant you know he had announced solemnly opinions may differ but in these things i must say i don't think the exceptions always the rule eh don't you find that and his neighbour replied that she thought he had hit upon a profound philosophical truth and then spoilt it by laughing after which the young man thinking internally it sounded all right wonder if it was such bosh as she seems to think had fled to mabel for sanctuary and plunged into an account of his university disasters i should have floored my general all right you know he said only i went in for too much poetry poetry echoed mabel with a slight involuntary accent of surprise rhymes you know not regular poetry but mr pidgeley i don't quite see why can't you floor generals with rhymes which are not regular poetry are they so particular in the army it isn't an army exam it's at cambridge and the rhymes are all the chief tips done into poetry like paley rhymes why you know paley rhymes give you for instance all the miracles or all the parables right off in about four lines of gibberish and you learn the gibberish and then you're all right i got through my little go that way but i couldn't the general fact is my coach gave me too many rhymes and couldn't you recollect the 
the tips without rhymes couldn't remember with em he said i could have corked down the verses all right enough but the beggars won't take them i forgot what they were all about so i had to show up blank papers and i'd stayed up all one long too working asked mabel with some sympathy well and cricketing he said ingenuously i call it a swindle he talks quite a dialect of his own thought mabel surprised vincent didn't i wonder if mr ashburn can mr ashburn after a short period of enforced silence spent in uncharitable feelings respecting fair-haired mr pidgeley had been suddenly attacked by the lady on his left a plump lady with queer comic inflections in her voice the least touch of brogue and a reputation for daring originality i suppose now she began you've read the new book they're talking so much about this illusion and what's your private opinion i wonder if i'll find a man with the courage to agree with me for i said when i'd come to the last page well they may say what they like but i never read such weary rubbish in all my life and i never did mark laughed he could not help it but it was a laugh of real enjoyment without the slightest trace of pique or wounded vanity in it i make a confession he said i do think myself that the book has been luckier than it deserves only as the the man who wrote it is a a very old friend of mine you see i mustn't join in abusing it mabel heard this and liked mark the better for it i suppose he couldn't do anything else very well without making a scene she thought but he did it very nicely i hope that woman will find out who he is though it will be a lesson to her here mabel was not quite fair perhaps for the lady had a right to her opinion and anything is better than humbug but she was very needlessly pitying mark for having to listen to such unpalatable candour little dreaming how welcome it was to him or how grateful he felt to his critic when mark was free again after an animated discussion with his candid neighbour in which each had amused the other and both were on the way to becoming intimate he found the spoony youth finishing the description of a new figure he had seen in a cotillon you all sit down on chairs don't you know he was saying and then the rest come through doors and mabel said with a spice of malice for she was being excessively bored that that must be very pretty and original mr langton was chatting ponderously at his end of the table and mrs langton was being interested at hers by an account the judge's lady was giving of a protege of hers an imbecile who made his living by calling neighbours who had to be up early perhaps it's prejudice said mrs langton but i do not think i should like to be called by an idiot he might turn into a maniac some day they do quite suddenly at times don't they she added appealing to the professor and that wouldn't be nice you know if he did what would you do she inquired generally shouldn't get up said the rising young barrister i should under the bed and scream said the lively young lady he had taken down and so for some minutes that end of the table applied itself zealously to solving the difficult problem of the proper course to take on being called early by a raving maniac meanwhile mabel had succeeded in dropping poor mr pidgeley and resuming conversation with mark this time on ordinary topics 
pictures, books, theatres, and people, especially people. He talked well, and the sympathy between them increased. Then, as the dessert was being taken round, Dolly and Colin came in. "'I've had ices, Mabel,' said the latter confidentially in her ear, as he passed her chair on his way to his mother. But Dolly stole quietly in and sat down by her father's side without a word. "'Do you notice any difference in my sister Dolly?' Mabel asked Mark, with a little anxious line on her forehead. "'She is not looking at all well,' said Mark, following the direction of her glance. There certainly was a change in Dolly. She had lost all her usual animation, and sat there silent and constrained, leaving the delicacies with which her father had loaded her plate untouched, and starting nervously whenever he spoke to her. When good-natured Mr. Pidgeley displayed his one accomplishment of fashioning a galloping pig out of orange peel for her amusement, she seemed almost touched by his offering, instead of slightly offended, as the natural dolly would have been. "'I don't think she is ill,' said Mabel, "'though I was uneasy about that at first. "'Fräulein and I fancy she must be worrying herself about something, "'and we can't get her to say what it is, "'and I don't like to tease her. "'Very likely she is afraid of being laughed at if she tells anybody. "'But I do so wish I could find out. "'Children can make themselves so terribly wretched "'over mere trifles sometimes.' but the hour of bereavement as m du maurier calls it had come gloves were being drawn on the signal was given mr pidgeley after first carefully barricading the path on his side of the table with his chair opened the door and the men left to themselves dropped their hypocritical mask of resigned regret as the handle turned on mrs langton's train and settled down with something very like relief Mark, of course, could not share this, though it is to be feared that even he found some consolation in his cigarette. The sound of Mabel's voice had not ceased to ring in his ears when her father took him by the arm and led him up to be introduced to the professor, who was standing before a picture. The man of science seemed at first a little astonished at having an ordinary young man presented to him in this way, but when his host explained that Mark was the author of the book of which the professor had been speaking so highly his manner changed and he overwhelmed him with his courtly compliments while the other guests gathered gradually nearer envying the fortunate object of so marked a distinction but the object himself was horribly uncomfortable for it appeared that the professor in reading illusion had been greatly struck by the brilliant simile drawn from some recent scientific discoveries with which he had had some connection and had even discovered in some passages what he pronounced to be the gem of a striking theory that had already suggested itself to his own brain, and he was consequently very anxious to find out exactly what was in Mark's mind when he wrote. Before Mark knew where he was, he found himself let in for a scientific discussion with one of the leading authorities on the subject, while nearly everyone was listening with interest for his explanation his forehead grew damp and cold with the horror of the situation he almost lost his head for he knew very little about science thanks however to his recent industry he kept some recollection of the passages in question and without any clear idea of what he was going to say plunged desperately into a long and complicated explanation he talked the wildest nonsense but with such confidence that everyone in the room but the professor was impressed 
mark had the mortification of seeing as the great man heard him out with a quiet dry smile and a look in his grey eyes which he did not at all like that he was found out but the professor only said at the end well that's very interesting mr ashburn very interesting indeed you have given me a really considerable insight into your uh mental process and for the rest of the evening he talked to his host as he drove home with his wife that night however his disappointment found vent never been so taken in in my life he remarked i did think from his book that the young ernstone and i would have something in common but i tried him but got nothing out of him but rubbish probably got the whole thing up out of some british association speech and forgotten it i hate your shallow fellows and upon my word i felt strongly inclined to show him up only i didn't care to annoy langton i'm glad you didn't dear said his wife i don't think dinner parties are good places to show people up in and really mr ernstone or ashburn whatever his name is struck me as being so very charming perhaps you expected too much from him hm i shall know better another time he said but the incident even as it was left mark with an uncomfortable feeling that his evening had somehow been spoilt particularly as he did not succeed in getting any further conversation with mabel in the drawing-room afterwards to make him forget the unpleasantness vincent holroyd's work was still proving itself in some measure an avenger of his wrongs End of chapter eighteen